And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the latest Head of the Pack edition. We haven't talked to you guys in a while, but of course, it's me, Matt, here with Bill to talk everything draft. The NFL draft is coming up in about two weeks. Actually, two weeks from today. Exactly two weeks. Well, today from when we're recording. Um... Packers pick number 29. That's normally a good thing, given uh, the fact that they've gone pretty far, but not won the Super Bowl, obviously, the last two years. We're going to talk to you about what positions we think they should target early on, You know, the players that could be of interest, what Brian Gutekunst might do in terms of trading up, trading back. Is he going to surprise us again? We'll get to some of your questions. Um, and maybe we'll even touch on Dane Brugler's seven-round mock draft that he put out today over on The Athletic that you guys should all check out. I was interested to see some of the things he forecasted for the Packers. But, Bill, how are things going over there in Wisconsin? I'm still in Connecticut. You doing all right? We're doing good. We haven't drowned yet. and I mean, um, there's been no calls <laughs> to build an ark, so that's good. Um, had some snow this morning, so I'm sure you missed that. Had snow? <laughs> Just some flurries, but we're, we're tough. Right, it's, it's April 14th, so that's a little concerning, but... Um, let's get into it. So I think there are five potential positions that the Packers could go for at number 29. I think it's cornerback, defensive line, inside linebacker, offensive line, and wide receiver. I just wrote those down, not in really any particular order. I think they should go cornerback. Um, I think we've talked about it very briefly before. My quick rationale is just that, yes, they re-signed Kevin King. I don't think they re-signed him with the intention to make him their cornerback of the future opposite Jair Alexander. I, I think uh, Jair is obviously going to be signed long-term. Um, they're going to exercise his fifth-year option here in the next couple of weeks, then make him one of the highest-paid cornerbacks in the NFL in the next year or so. Kevin King is on a one-year kind of prove-it deal. There are two things that could happen. He either gets hurt or doesn't play well enough and is benched early in the season in favor of this first-round pick, which is why I think <laughs> one reason they should use that number 29 pick on a cornerback. Or he plays well enough to warrant a bigger contract next offseason, in which case I don't think that would come from the Packers. And I mean that for real this time. I know I said that you know before free agency this year, but I think another team would pay him. And then in, in that case, the Packers can go to a, a guy um, – who they draft this year and has had a year to learn. Don't don't forget, Jair Alexander and Kevin King both did not start right away. And they were both the first picks of their respective drafts for the Packers. So a, a corner doesn't have to start away. I understand people saying, we need help now. We need that immediate help now to get over the hump and get to the Super Bowl. But I don't think you necessarily need to do that. So I'd go with cornerback. We'll get into some names later. But what would be your, your position, uh, most primary position of need uh, at the 29th pick? Yeah, I agree with that. I hate to always agree with you on the podcast. By the way, I wish we had audio replay. You said that there's two things that could happen. One, he could get hurt. I just thought that was really funny. I'm not sure why I thought that was funny. but it was That's just, probably it, the most likely thing that happens, right. isn't it? It's a great line. Um, 
You're right, though. I, I I do think resigning King was was important in that if there's a run on cornerbacks or there's you know the, the guy that you want is gone, um, you're not pressured into taking one. But you know, I, I totally agree with you, Matt. I realize they need they need help on the offensive line, but you know, if Bakhtiari is back at least relatively healthy, they're okay there. Um, yeah, they could use the receiver, but but they were number one in scoring, so they're okay there. I realize Corey Lindsley left, but you can move Lucas Patrick the center and put Runyon at guard, so you're probably okay there. I think you're okay everywhere, but I, I just think cornerback is this huge need because King, as you mentioned, gets hurt a lot. Um, and, and look, they play Tampa in the championship game, and they were lucky that Antonio Brown didn't play, but you know there are teams that can just stress the living you-know-what out of you by putting three really good cornerbacks or th- three really good receivers out there, and if you can't match up if, if your number two guy is hurt or whatever it is, if you can't match up, it's going to be a long day. You can't have enough of those guys, and it is a really deep position in the draft, too. See, I agree with you. Cornerback would be where I would go. Well, that's the thing. Like, It only matters so much if you have a guy like Jair Alexander, who's probably the second or third. You could maybe even say the best cornerback in all of football because it's not like, you know— running back or quarterback where you have one really good player up at a position and you're all set. Like any competent offense can just expose the other side of the field. Jair only covers half the field. Like even with edge rushers, if you have one really good edge rusher, they're always going to get some sort of pressure on the quarterback and running the other way. You can compensate for that, you know, with, you know, shifting the interior guys on the D line or or moving the inside linebackers one way cornerback you're out on an Island. So you need two competent corners, no matter how good Jair is on one side. Like you just said, we saw in the NFC championship game, they exposed Shannon Sullivan, they exposed Kevin King. And it doesn't matter how good he is because we saw this year, not only the NFC championship game, they, they didn't throw his way. And, you know, you need another corner who is, more reliable than Kevin King that at least strikes some fear into opponents. Do, does does Jair strike fear into you if you're an opposing offensive coordinator and does Kevin King strike fear into you? I think the answers to that are yes and no. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, Kevin King's played some really good football here. He really has, but he picked a bad day to play about the worst game of his career. The, Buc- the Buccaneers went after him with two touchdowns by halftime and then you look, look, the game was essentially, I realized... All this other stuff happened, but the game was over at halftime, wasn't it? Um, yeah, yeah, it, you, you, it, it was. Again, again, he he has played some good ball, but man, oh man, I, he's probably played half the snaps in his career. I mean, that's just. And Josh Jackson looks like he's a second round bust. Maybe he'll, maybe he'll be rejuvenated under the, the new defensive scheme and coordinator. But um, if if you don't have guys who can cover, forget about it. You got no chance in today's NFL. It's a really good draft of corners, and you know, I know you mentioned Dane's. Mock, you know, he, he has Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. That's yeah. a great pick because, A, he's a top 10 kind of guy, um, but he's coming off back surgery. Well, you know what? You don't need him to play right away. That's if you need exactly... to ease him into things, well, you've got Kevin King here. So yep. I, think, I think that's a to kind of get into that a little bit right away. I think that's a great pick um, for our conversation. Yeah, I, I, we can get into that. I, I have my uh, reaction to his whole seven-round mock coming out tomorrow morning. But I, I love that pick. If Caleb Farley falls, I think the Packers should pounce on that. Like you said, if he's healthy, and he says he is. I was reading um, 
Andy Bitter, who covers Virginia Tech for us, wrote off of Virginia Tech's Pro Day where Farley didn't participate, but Farley said the back procedure, which he underwent recently, was just to clean up some minor things that he suffered actually all the way back in August 2019, deadlifting uh, at Virginia Tech. Farley didn't play the 2020 season, opted out. 2019, he missed the last two games of the season, suffered that injury in August, played through the entire season, led the ACC in passes defense with 16, tied for second with four interceptions. And then the injury just kind of piled up, went from minor to more significant, and he had to sit out the last two games. So he hasn't played since late in 2019. But he's a top 10 talent with a clean bill of health. And he said, if you want the best cornerback in the draft, you will come find me. So he thinks he's the best corner in the draft. I know Patrick Sertan the second, J.C. Horn, Greg Newsome are up there in that conversation too. But if Caleb Farley falls, I think you got to take him. And like you said, if he is a guy who needs a little bit more time to heal, what better place to go than Green Bay, a team that desperately needs another corner and one that doesn't necessarily need one right away. You know, it's not like offensive line where you're drafting Caleb Farley for depth. You're drafting him to eventually start. If the Packers draft an offensive lineman early, they're likely drafting them for depth. Because like you said, they have all the starters, you know, probably already on the team. So I love that pick. I think him and Jair could be a really nice pairing. Uh, Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that pick. The other position I think I would not be surprised just because we came to expect Brian Gutekunst to to do wonky things with the first round pick is wide receiver. I think, I think he might do that just to be, you know what? Our defense isn't one piece away from being good. Like they could get an inside linebacker. They could get a corner. They could get a defensive lineman. I don't think that one player at any of those positions will really change the Packers defense that much. I think a wide receiver, maybe Brian Gutekunst is saying, you know what? Teams can't stop us if we're going to score 30, or teams can't beat us if we're going to score 35 points a game. They led the league, like you said, with 31.8 per game last year. If they get like a Rashad Bateman or a Rondale Moore at the end of the first round, they might score 35 points a game. And at that point, you and I could be playing on defense, and I don't think it would matter. <laughs> well, maybe you. Um, <laughs> that, I mean, that would be an amazing pick. I mean, I, I run mock drafts fairly regularly on my site just because – People love it. Um, every and every time somebody picks a receiver, wow, they're not going to do that. And that would mean it's it's been since um, two thousand four with Javon Walker since they drafted a receiver in the first round. It's an amazing stretch, but they don't have any receivers under contract in twenty twenty two. And when I say that, I'm, I'm barely exaggerating. Malik Taylor is the one and only receiver under contract in twenty twenty two. So I realized that we all talked receiver last year. But they've got to get receivers in here, whether it's first round or, you know, it, it's got to be like early, middle and late, early and late, something like that. They've got to get multiple guys in here just to get ready for next year. Um, because look, they're, they're up crap creek cap wise. So you probably can't afford to resign your, your MVSs of the world. So um, you better plan accordingly. And if you can get a receiver in the first round who can help right away and make a great offense, even look, is for as good as that offense was. They had a hard time against really good defenses. Defenses that could take away Devontae Adams to some extent. The Panthers did it the best. Packers had some challenges scoring. So if you can if you can work around that and make and make them pay for taking away Adams, that'd be a hell of a good pick. Yeah, I, I think looking at guys like Elijah Moore from Ole Miss, Kadarius Toney, I think what they might want to look for if they go for a wide receiver is not a guy who plays primarily on the outside. You know, when's the last time they had a really good slot receiver? It's Randall Cobb. 
you know, Geronimo Allison was supposed to be yep. that guy two years ago, but he obviously wasn't. Um, I think you could go for a Kadarius Tony. The top three of Chase Waddle and Devontae Smith aren't going to fall. To- then it really starts at, at, you know, Tony Bateman, Elijah Moore, Rondale Moore. You know, an interesting one. And this guy would probably be a second or third round pick, but he could still maybe fit in there. Is Amon Ra St. Brown, the younger brother of Equinemia St. Brown, the current Packers <laughs> number four or five receiver. And listen, if they don't want to go for a wide receiver to start right away and push MVS and Alan Lazard for playing time, I still think they need better depth there. You know, Devin Funches has played one game the past two seasons, broke his collarbone in week one two years ago, uh, and then opted out of last season. Malik Taylor, like you said, I think this a depth pick in the second or third round could be as much uh, to provide depth this year as, you know, then move up the depth chart next year if some of those guys leave, like you mentioned. You're talking about slot. They try like crazy to make Tyler Irvin that guy, and it didn't work yeah. out. But when, when Irvin was rolling, I mean, that jet sweep stuff was so good. And, and without him, I mean, that play just became useless. I mean, they'd, they'd motion those guys and... It's like they'd motion those guys across the formation. The defense would kind of giggle at it. Well, hell, they're not going to give it to Lazard. And they'd all laugh and they'd just run the play. I mean, Kadarius Tony's a hell of a good football player. And he's got some running experience. I mean, that'd be a hell of a good pick as a slot receiver slash jet sweep kind of guy. Kick returner as well. I'll, I'll mention this. Dane Brugler in the third round mocked Dwayne Eskridge to the Packers, the Western Michigan wide receiver, who was one of five players up for the Paul Horning Award last year which is given to the most versatile player in college football. He was one of uh, 11 players in the FBS with at least three kickoff returns of more than 40 yards. He's a guy who he played in the slot a lot, played for Tim Lester, who was actually the Syracuse offensive coordinator when I covered Syracuse football when I went there. Um, but he's a guy that could play in the slot and be that return guy. I think that's what they need to look for. If they draft a wide receiver, you're not drafting a guy who can be a number two or a number one, obviously, but a guy that could be maybe a number three or four, help you out in the slot, but also return kicks because you need a returner badly. I think. But there's a reason I'm not a GM. Eskridge is an interesting guy. You know, a lot of these slot guys in this draft, um, they're a little on the short side. You know, unless they've changed or just the way it's worked out um, over the last, over the Ted Thompson, Brian Gutekunst there, they drafted, I believe, 15 receivers and not a single one of them was shorter than five foot ten. I'm not talking about rounding up to get there. I'm talking about five foot ten. So um, maybe just the way it's worked out, maybe there'll be a, a, maybe they would let that go if an Elijah Moore was there. He's like five nine and a half or something. Maybe they'd fudge it a little bit. But Eskridge at least breaks over that five ten barrier. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.
Yeah, let's chat about the D-line in this draft. I think they do need to address it. That's another position I think would make a lot of sense with uh, their first-round pick. It's really not a deep D-line draft. You know, Christian Barmore from Alabama is really the only top-tier interior defensive lineman. I think he'll be gone by then, but I've written this a bunch. It's in my story again tomorrow. You just can't keep trotting Tyler Lancaster and Dean Lowry out there and expect to be anything more than mediocre. You know, I I think Mm -hmm. we've seen what they can be in this league. We've talked about it on this show plenty of times. They're serviceable run stoppers. They're not, the Packers need defensive linemen who can make plays in the backfield, who can get after the quarterback. They need guys. They're probably not going to find a guy right away who's as good as Kenny Clark in terms of doing a little bit of everything, but they need guys who are more than just bodies to get in the way of the run up the middle. They need guys who can actually get in the backfield, pressure the quarterback, cause fumbles, you know, have tackles for loss. Kingsley Kiki showed flashes of that. Kenny Clark obviously has proven to be that guy. Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster, not really. You know, if Christian Barmore drops, I think maybe you even trade up a couple spots for him. But I think defensive line, they continue to neglect upgrades on the defensive line, and maybe they see something in Lowry and Lancaster that we don't. But don't you think that is a spot they need to try and go for in the first couple rounds? Yeah, I took Barmore in our uh, Sports Illustrated Publishers mock draft. He fell there. I mean, it is, I mean you kind of said I mean, it. It is like a one-man draft class of first-round guys. I mean, it is him. Um, you know, there was a guy from Washington, Levi, with a name I'm not going to pronounce on a podcast. You know, he was an opt-out last year and didn't really do much in his career there, but tested really well. But yeah, of guys who A, tested well and B, have performed, um, yeah, it is, it's Barmore and, and really, and really nobody else. He's, um, some questions is if he can play run defense, but man, he can get after the quarterback and he's just, he's got things you can't teach or you can't, things you can't coach. And that would be athleticism, which Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster do not have. They've. Got, they got to get some playmakers there. It is, like you said, it's the same thing over and over again. They're not good enough against the run, and they give you nothing against the pass. And Bill, I, I'm going to go to you on this because you're our NFL draft guru. Some of these defensive line names, if the Packers draft them, I'm going to need to spend <laughs> at least like a couple days learning how to pronounce them. Oh, it's brutal. I can't even. I can't even. You want to try? Get- so I, I spell them once, and then I copy and paste them in my story because yeah, I, it's. Yeah, maybe they'll just smart. draft Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech and call it a day. Yeah, Milton Williams or Christian Barmore right up, right up my alley on on, on NFL draft prospects spelling. Yeah, uh, I I think I don't know if they're going to go for another, and and maybe we'll be helped out by this because I don't know if they're going to go for a depth piece on the defensive line because they already have depth pieces. They need a starter, so if they go for the defensive line, they're going to do it in the first or second round. And Christian Barmore is, you know, Levi from Washington is really the only other guy that I'm looking at Dane Brugler's draft guide right now, the beast, which is just like the longest novel of all time. And that's a compliment. Um, There are only two guys with first, first round grades and um, Levi from Washington. I'm going to keep calling him that it has a first or second round grade. So there, there are not many guys who are top tier. Like I said, it's not a very deep defensive line draft. So maybe we'll get lucky as writers and have to only, say and write Christian Barmore if they go that way. Yeah, uh, it, was, quickly, you know, it, was, it was a bad yeah. draft last year too, Matt. I mean, I know the Packers, I get it now. They overlooked, well, yeah, they didn't really overlook draft D-line last year. It was, it was a crappy class last year. It's a crappy class this year. You know, there's Osa from UCLA too, if we're just going to play first name <laughs> yeah. slash school on here. 
Yeah, those Pac-10 guys, Levi from Washington and Osa from UCLA, pretty good players. That's 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 their names to us, at least, until they draft them. Let, before- Marlon from USC as well. Don't forget about him. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, these, <laughs> these names are ridiculous. Um, be, very quickly, before we get into questions, let's touch on inside linebacker and offensive line. Some guys to watch there and the chances they, they go for them early. Inside linebacker, here's my thing on that. They already have two 22-year-olds in Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin that are entering their second year. They showed some promise last year. Yes, they battled injuries. I would call Kamal Martin injury-prone. I know some people have gotten on me for calling both of them injury-prone. Chris Barnes just always seemed to like have a nick. He never had a major injury, but he like got poked in the eye and had to miss a half. He like had a toe. It's like always something weird with him. So I, I think they're both good players. Obviously, the Packers like them more than Ty Summers and Oren Burks. Oren Burks enough so that they had to you know, move him to fourth string on the depth chart at another position. Um, I think inside linebacker is probably less likely that they take because what's the point of bringing in another 21, 22 year old, unless you can get a guy that's going to compete right away. If you get another guy that is a project or, you know, is really only there based off potential, like a, like a Barnes or a Martin, they weren't drafted because they could play right away necessarily because Christian Kirksey was already there for that then I, I don't see why they would do it unless a guy like Zavin Collins, you know, Dane Brugler had Nick Bolton, the inside linebacker from Missouri, going to the Packers in the second round. I like that pick. You know, he's gotten some first-round grades. He's been projected to the Packers in the first round in, in one mock, I believe, I, I read. Um, so I think that would be a good pick in the second round. But Collins or Bolton, to me, are the two inside linebackers I could see the Packers using a first- or second-round pick on. Yeah, it's a great point. I mean, you and you hit it with defensive tackle and receiver too. They don't need another guy. They need guys who can make a difference. And God, I'm, I and just to keep the theme going, Jeremiah from Notre Dame. If he falls down there, boy, Owu, howdy. Owu, Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa. I got that one. Yeah, actually, that one that was actually not so bad. He's gonna but, he's gonna be he's I think he's gonna be long yeah. gone. He's really really yeah good. top. He's a top twenty just because he can. Those guys who can run are just worth their weight in gold in today's NFL. Yeah. Um, you, I mean, you're right though. What's the point of drafting, um, um, Jan- I'm- Derek Barnes from Purdue in the fourth round, you know, right. they've got enough guys. Um, you know, you, you, you probably take a late round guy because, because you are a man down. You lost Kirk scene for agency. So you, maybe you get a, a late round guy, um, for depth and special teams purposes. But, um, yeah, you probably feel pretty decent about your young tandem unless, Unless, like, the guy of your dreams just falls into your lap, like, like you, like you mentioned in, in Dane's draft, uh, you know, if he falls in your lap in the second round, um, kind of hard to overlook him. Both exactly. Yeah, offensive line's interesting because, like we said, they don't have an immediate need. Obviously, we don't know, at least publicly yet, what is happening with David Bakhtiari in terms of his recovery timetable. He's the best left tackle in the NFL, possibly the best offensive lineman in the NFL. Towards ACL on December 31st. It has not been long since then. And being ready for week one would be an incredible feat. But we know Dave can't put anything past him. He's he's a tough SOB. He's going to do everything he can to be on the field week one. Um, but even if he isn't, I don't think you need to use an early pick on an offensive lineman. Because we've talked about it before, our, you know, our hypothetical lineups, if he's not ready, you just start Billy Turner at one tackle spot and move Elton Jenkins out. Then you have... Patrick Runyon and someone else on the interior. So 
I don't think you use an early... And if Bakhtiari misses the first game or the first two games, I don't think you use a first or maybe even a second round pick on a guy who's just going to go back to the bench after Bakhtiari is healthy. I think this is... The Packers are incredible at drafting offensive linemen. They got TJ Lang, Josh Sitton, uh, Bakhtiari, and Corey Lindsley all in the fourth or fifth round. And if you want to go all the way back to, you know, Chad Clifton and Tausch, you know, Chad Clifton was in the second round. Tausch was in the seventh. I mean, they have been notorious in a good way. I know notorious isn't, you know, it doesn't have a good connotation, but for finding incredible offensive linemen in the middle of the draft. So maybe Goody, who has a lot of Ted Thompson in him, says, you know what? I'm not going to take an offensive lineman early. I'm going to take a project in the middle of the draft, have him as a nice depth piece, and hope he turns into something. I, that's the way I would go, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It is just a, a fascinating what they're going to do there. Um, I will say, last year's number three tackle was Rick Wagner. I think he played 57% of the snaps. And that's a lot of snaps. And right now, their number three offensive tackle, and their only offensive tackle on the bench would be Yash Nyman. Yep. They are they have no depth at all, unless you want to start playing musical chairs, like you said. And, and you know, they are so far over the cab, you know, maybe, maybe you take a guy in the first round to have him replace Billy Turner next year. Because Turner's got a big cap number, and you're trying to cut some money. You could do that. Um, yeah, otherwise, though, it, it is. We saw in the NFC title game how important it is to have tackle depth. They weren't expecting to lose David yep. Bakhtiari. I think they, we've said it before. David Bakhtiari was the difference between them going to the Super Bowl and not. Because Aaron Rodgers was under constant duress last year. Yes, he didn't play his best game, but Rick Wagner and Turner were were pun intended, I guess, turnstiles in that game. Um, so you need better tackle depth and and. Like Goody said, with valuing the backup quarterback spot and drafting Love more than maybe any other franchise, this franchise really values offensive linemen. And like you said, that's a good point. I guess I wouldn't be too surprised if they used uh, a first or second round pick on a tackle and he didn't necessarily start because protecting Aaron Rodgers is extremely important. Um, And I think that's one of the things they'll have on the top of their to-do list entering this year. And with Bakhtiari's uh, injury or return timetable and certain that that could be their first or second round pick. And I wouldn't be too surprised. Yeah. The draft is April 29th. Um, you'll see if they're going to pick at nine o'clock. If it's at eight fifty and like number 28 up, if I'm Goody, I'm calling Jared Veldher one last time. Yeah. <laughs> you want to play next year? I mean, I mean, I'm kind of joking here, but man, if you could get, and I realize he's leaning toward retirement, but he was last year too. And he came right. out. I mean, getting a guy like Veldher would just solve all your exactly. problems, but. So that I, I would I would be making that call between now and April 29th yeah. for sure. All right, we got looks like I know I put out a late call, but we've got 12 questions or so. We won't get through all of them. Let's nab a couple. Um, from Evan White, if they double or even triple down on one position, which position will it be? That's a good question. I think my answer would be. I think it would be defensive line. And I think the reason they would do that was because, you know, they haven't re-signed Snacks Harrison. They lost Montrevious Adams. The only four guys they really have are Lancaster, Lowry, Clark, and Kiki. Um, I think they have Anthony Rush too, but I'm talking about got rotational guys who played last year. If they take in the first or second round a guy who's going to play right away, then want one more depth piece to maybe push Lancaster for a roster spot, I could see them doubling down on defensive line. Yeah, I will say, um, 
you know, let, 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 let's say they, they don't take receiver or cornerback in the first round, you know, whatever that is, I, I would say they double up or triple up on, on those spots, you know, receiver, they have nobody under contract, like I mentioned and cornerback, you've got Kevin King and Shannon Sullivan back for one year and Josh Jackson, who hasn't done anything, will be a free agent too. So I think you need to replenish those spots. So, um, you know, say, say they take a receiver in the second, I can see them tripling up there, or maybe, maybe if it's a cornerback in the second, kind of the same deal where maybe you don't get your, the guy you just absolutely love in the first round, but you grab enough guys that you feel pretty good about your future. Right. From Quinn at Q-Tip 60. That's a nice name. Outside of QB, what would be the absolute funniest position the Packers could draft in terms of fan meltdown? I would say running back or edge. That was Quinn saying running back or edge, not me, because I don't think it's running back or edge. I think there's a chance they take a running back because their third string running back last year, A.J. Dillon, played about 10% of the offensive snaps. That's a decent amount. They need a better third string running back than Dexter Williams. Maybe they take a flyer on Patrick Taylor this year. I think they might want to draft an edge rusher in the fourth or fifth round uh, to be that fourth guy. Jonathan Garvin couldn't even get on the game day active list last year. Randy Ramsey just seems right. like another guy. You need someone else to throw into that rotation when the Smiths and Rashawn Gary need a break. I wouldn't even say tight end because two tight end systems are are the thing in the NFL. And who knows? There, I've seen some stuff that the 49ers might take Kyle Pitts to pair with George Kittle at number three. Good luck defending that. So if they want to take a tight end you know, in the first couple rounds to pair with Robert Tunyon, I wouldn't be stunned. I think the position that would... Uh, be funny early on I would say running back in the entire draft you know this is a cop-out answer but I wouldn't be surprised if they took maybe anything on specialist kicker or punter if they took another kicker or punter I know that's a cop-out answer but late in the draft I don't think it really matters what position you take it's all for competition um, building depth and they can use depth anywhere. You know, obviously they're not going to take another QB. Uh, you can clip that. I am confident that's not going to happen. But I, I don't think you can take a, a kicker or a punter or a long snapper. We saw how that panned out in 2018. It just didn't work very well. Yeah, I was going to say long snapper too. Can you imagine? Look, I, I believe, and I, I might not have this exact word, I believe when they drafted Hunter Bradley, he was the either the fourth or fifth long snapper ever drafted. It was some ridiculous number. And, and now you see why. He's never been any good. Um, and, and I, you know, they, they just signed a, they, they, they just signed a guy who hasn't, who hasn't played, played in a game since 2015. What a great story. I, I wrote a story about him over at my site last that. week. That what a phenomenal story. I mean, in, in, much as we laugh at it, um, the sheer hysteria, I mean, it's just crazy that the guy hasn't played since 20 and that's, that's their free agent signing. But can you imagine being told no for a job, Matt, for five consecutive years? And just sticking with it, amazing. You know, it's those those things that we kind of glance over because we assume these guys to be robots and just kind of do their thing. But that's a guy who has never played a, a snap in professional football. Like you said, last time he played was at Delaware in 2015. And it's ironic that he's their only outside free agent signing. And I think that goes to show how disappointed they are with Hunter Bradley, where they think Joe Fortunato can come in and challenge him. And Mo Drayton said it, the new special teams coordinator. Uh, Scott and Bradley are on the hot seat. Um, all right, let's see. Austin Wellhouse. We kind of touched on this, but how likely are the Packers to take a wide receiver in the first three rounds? I think it's a high likelihood. I think just something funny about this draft tells me last year when we expected them to take a wide receiver, they didn't. This year when we don't really expect them to take a wide receiver because 
uh, MVS and Lazard prove to be sufficient complements to Devontae Adams, I think they will take one this year. You know, whether it's to be in the slot, be that guy who can play the slot and return kicks and punts, or just challenge Funchess, Taylor, and St. Brown for roster spots, I think they do take one in the first three rounds this year. I would love, I would love, for storyline-wise, as reporters, I would love for it to be Amon Ra St. Brown. Him battling his older brother for a roster spot. You know, the the Smith Brothers interviews were strange at times. Can you imagine a St. Brown Brothers interview? Well, the thing is, I think if they they draft one of them, the other one might not have a job at the end of training camp. That'd be amazing. I just know that EQ has never said anything interesting ever, and he has no interest in talking ever. I'm not sure how his brother is, but that'd be quite the joint interview. We'll see. All right, let's get to two more before we get out of here. Good one from Evan. Scani Tsunami. There you go. Goody has moved in the first round each of his first three years as GM. Do you see this trend continuing? And if so, forward or back? And for who? Great question. So like you said, yeah, mm-hmm. 2018, um, I was covering the Raiders then, but if I remember correctly, moved back from 14 all the way to the back of the first round to 30. And then move back up to 18 to draft Jair Alexander. Do I have that right? That is correct. Yeah. And then that worked out pretty well. Yeah, that worked out tremendously. So he did a little bit of trading up, then trading back. Then in 2019, he obviously stayed put at number 12 to take Rashawn Gary. Um, and then with their second first round pick at number 30, which they got from the Saints in that Marcus Davenport trade, then they moved up to 21 to take Darnell Savage. Also worked out very well. So both times. Well, and then he traded, of course, how could I forget, traded up last year, four spots to take Jordan Love. That maybe was not met with as much praise as the Jair Alexander Darnell Savage picks were. We'll see how the Jordan Love pick pans out, obviously. That's a discussion for another podcast. Um, I could see him trading up again. He's obviously not a guy that likes to stay put. We talked about it. If a guy like Caleb Farley, uh, Awusu Koromoa, Micah Parsons, maybe even a receiver maybe even a Zayvon Collins is there at 23, 24, 25. I could see him giving up a fourth round pick since they have two of them this year and that number 29 pick to go up and get his guy. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Um, I will say they have such cap problems coming up. I mean, even now that as many rookie contract guys as you can get would be um, smart financially. And I'm not sure how much the salary cap impacts what they're going to do, you know, moving up and down the draft board. Um, but I, I do think having more swings of the bat, getting more cheap labor, so to speak, I think they're, that probably makes some sense. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. That's also something to keep in mind how they're going to structure these contracts. Well, before training camp starts, we'll probably do another episode going into all that and, and all the cap ramifications for Devontae Adams, Aaron Rodgers, all that stuff, because I know that's a hot topic as well. All right, last one from Steve Heilmeyer. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. As individuals who cover the Packers, what is draft weekend like for both of you? If I may ask another question, of course you can. Which prospect or prospects do you view as being perfect fit for the team? Thanks, Matt and Bill. No, thank you, Steve. We appreciate you asking questions. It, it's been different. I think nor- normally um, we're at the facility. We're watching the draft on the TVs at Lambeau. Um, I haven't covered an in-person draft with the Packers because – I was still covering the Raiders during the 2019 draft, but normally we watch it at Lambeau, then go down to the the uh, 
media auditorium, I'd assume, to talk to Goody and LaFleur and then get all the draft picks on conference calls. This year, I just watched it, or last year and this year, I'll be watching it from my living room in Connecticut and still have conference calls with all those guys. So it's interesting. It, it's fo- My favorite part about draft weekend is honestly um, the second and third days where when these guys are picked, we find out a little interesting tidbit or two about them. Like maybe they sang in a band in high school or they've known a current Packers player really well. And you kind of catch them off guard with that question on the conference call and, and get them to open up a bit. Now, what do you think you can bring to the Packers? You know, how do you think you fit with the team five minutes after they were drafted and learn, and they might not even have the official draft hat yet. Um, it's those things where we can maybe spice up that initial story right after they're drafted with a little bit of something interesting. Like I remember last year, John Runyon Jr., like he spent his entire offseason training with Rashawn Gary, and we were able to ask him about Gary and kind of use that. So those interesting tidbits we kind of hit on with the later round guys. And also I love talking to the scouts that have tracked these guys for years. And granted, talking to Goody and LaFleur is great. But these scouts who have devoted their livelihoods to these fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh round draft picks really know these guys and getting to hear what they bring from those guys. I, I really enjoy too. Yeah. Sam Seal, the West Coast scout is absolutely fantastic. He's one of those guys that you wish uh, um, you wish to get a GM job or would get in a position to talk more often because he's great. Um, draft weekends are grind. And I know speaking for me and probably for most of us, you're just hoping that they trade all those sixth and seventh round picks to move up around and get rid of all those late picks because you're exhausted because you, you talk to so many players. Or, transcribing sucks. Yeah, um, I can agree and with all that. The, you got all these crappy cell phone calls. You know, there's you know the players on his cell phone with 50 other people, and he can't hear you, and you can't hear him. And they got to try to transcribe it and turn it into English. It's a grind. But yeah, the 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 story. It's the people stuff. You, you kind of it's it's the people stuff that's that's a lot of fun about the draft. Everybody's got a story. Everybody, everybody's got a story, and that's the brilliant part of it. And the good thing is, and this is my rule of thumb: get those features out of the way now because you don't know if they will have a job with the Packers in like two months. <laughs> so hey, we do we do have, we we can't quit. By the way, we do have one more question from Cecilia Bugface. Has got a question, man. How can you skip that one? Oh my God, she's asked a question. I think on every single yes. head of the pack episode. Which Packers reporter would be the best Jeopardy contestant and what would be each of your best or most obscure categories? That's a good question. I don't think I'm not a great trivia person. My area of expertise is really only sports, maybe a little bit of, you know, pop culture. So it definitely would not be me. Um, I don't know who it would be. My area of expertise would probably be obviously NFL since I cover the league, but you know, top 40 music. I don't know. I'm, I don't really have any areas beyond sports that I'm, uh, too proficient in. That's embarrassing to say. I got to become more well-versed. I haven't read a full book, like front to back, like an actual book, not like a sports story or a sports magazine since my freshman year of high school, Lord of the flies. Like maybe that's why I'm such a bad writer is because I don't read enough. <laughs> that's why I'm such a bad writer. <laughs> What, you how know, about we, you? Who would be your yeah, pick? We, um, I, w- I would say Wildy might be the best. Okay. Um, you know, we've been watching um, Jeopardy here, me and Melissa, um, this Bixer Rogers. I did really good on astronomy last night. I, the, 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 one of the answers was uh, 
um, was the answer. The question was, what is the God particle? And Melissa looked at me like I had three eyes. It's like, what the blank? <laughs> so I felt pretty good. But I'm like you. I don't read books. I can't believe that's that's a good admission. I'm glad my kids are home. <laughs> so you get these categories with authors and it's like, forget about it. So at the end of the day, I'd be the guy who'd win like 800 bucks. It would make just a very trivial donation to uh, Aaron Rodgers North Valley Community Foundation because I'd win nothing. Uh, can I quickly plug that before we get out of here? Uh, stay tuned to The Athletic. Yeah, you said North Valley yeah. Community Good Foundation. Story. I uh, I don't know exactly when this podcast is coming out, but tomorrow morning I'll have um, a story. Rodgers donated a million bucks. I say that like it's so casual. Uh, a million bucks and has helped raise hundreds of thousands more for 80 small businesses and counting in and around his small hometown of Chico. Um, I, I know everyone has their opinions about Aaron Rodgers and we try to stay neutral, but it, I, I talked to a dozen of those small businesses that um, he has helped either keep afloat or save altogether. And a little teaser, there was a restaurant named Nick's restaurant in paradise, California, which is the town that was completely almost completely burned down by wildfire in November, 2018 wildfire took 85 lives burned well over a hundred thousand acres. I think it was like 153,000 acres or something burned 18, 118,000 or 18,000. I forget which it was different buildings and homes. And Nick's restaurant was the first business to open back up in paradise after the wildfire was contained to give people of the town a place to come back and congregate if they even wanted to come back, just something to heal them emotionally. And they've been doing well for the past two years. And then they had to shut down for a little bit during the pandemic, just because, you know, all small businesses and restaurants suffered during the pandemic. And I was told by April Kelly, who's the manager of, of Nick's, um, a really cool story. So, it's named Nick's after Nikki Jones. Nikki Jones is an elderly woman who is the owner and her sister recently passed away. And uh, just a couple weeks ago, or it might've been a couple months ago after this, sometime after the season, it was the same day she was making funeral plans for her sister. She gets a surprise FaceTime call from Aaron Rodgers telling her that her restaurant is going to be saved. And she, and April told me that Aaron Rodgers is the reason their restaurant is staying open. If he hadn't come through with this financial help to help pay for their rent, utilities, payroll for the next several months till we get to the other side of this pandemic, they would have closed for good. A, a restaurant that means so much to a town so devastated. So that's how I kind of lead the story. There are 11 other stories of small businesses and how Rodgers has either kept them afloat or saved them altogether that I think uh, you'll enjoy. So that'll be out tomorrow morning on The Athletic. Give that a look. Sorry for keeping you guys long, but for Bill, for Matt, and our fantastic producer, it's not Danielle, it's Marissa this week. This has been Head of the Pack. We'll talk to you guys probably shortly after the draft. See you then. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.